0: And we're in trimester two, lesson nine. Do you realize we're one lesson away from that second trimester? I don't know if it's gone fast for you, but it certainly has gone fast for me. And now we're just one trimester away from wrapping it all up. And so you're, you're over two-thirds of the way there. So hang tough. You're making it. And each one of these are important maturity, ministry, and even leadership lessons. And our lesson tonight, I've entitled The Principle of Endorsement. The principle of endorsement, and all this second trimester we 've been dealing with authority, and I thought this would be a good place to begin to sow some philosophy into all of us, so you can better understand perhaps how uh, a vision and a ministry works within the context of a local church. First Thessalonians chapter five verses twelve and thirteen, this is what we read. it says, "And we urge you, brethren. We urge you, brethren, and who are the brethren? Everybody say, that's us. And I know some of you are ladies. I know you're not brethren. You're the cistern. Not a cistern, but because that almost sounds like, you know, you're catching water somewhere. And that may be too. But anyway, the brothers and the sisters, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those. And again, every now and then I do like the old King James Version because it will say literally to know those. to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace amongst yourselves. And I want to underscore that little phrase, to know those who labor among you. Now, when it comes to endorsement, there are some interesting um, dynamics that happen in our nation. And I suspect in most of your lives, and I know it happens in my life as well. There are some things when we go to seek certain services, there are some things when we seek services, we're very careful about. We, we just aren't going to let anybody do certain things in our life. I remember, I'm just looking at Andrea up here and I know what Andrea does for, for a, a career and a job. And, and I know she takes it seriously. And uh, she trims dogs. Now I tell you, for my dog, I, I you know I'm too far away to go to Andrea just to go up and down the road. Otherwise, I might still yet might, but but I go to a place where I know this person, and I, I'm only going to have certain people handle my dog because it's my dog. You know how people are about their dogs, don't you? I mean, I mean, I mean, God could wipe out their family, but don't touch my animal. I, I mean, really, that's how some people are about dogs and even cats. And we won 't go there, but anyway, but there's some things we 're very careful about. Um, I think most of us are probably somewhat careful about the physician we go to see. I know we 're in a healthcare era where they kind of push us towards certain people if you have certain insurances, but even even the insurance we have, which we have to go to a network we 're very diligent to figure out who in this network it just aren't going to anybody we want to know who we're going to in this network before i'm letting him look me over all right so that's just the way it is and and i know you are probably the same way babysitters i didn't have just anybody come babysit my children i mean i wanted to know who this person was i didn't grab him i saw someone walking down the street go hey you can you babysit i didn't do that i don't suspect you did either I mean, you wanted to know who they were. Nursery workers, I've had parents through the years. They've come to me and they've, they've even in our own nurseries, they said, I don't know that I know this person. And, and I said, well, we've screened them and done the things we're supposed to do. And they'll still be a little just concerned because who is this nursery worker? I think about mechanics. There are some guys that will not let just anybody work on their car. I mean, only only this mechanic from this shop is going to stick his head under my vehicle and work on it. I mean, that's just the way it is. Nobody else is going to touch this thing. Some of you ladies are especially this way, a cosmetologist, like doing your hair. I mean, you don't just run around to anybody and everybody and have somebody else work on it. I see Someone like me, now that doesn't matter much to me because you can't mess too much up with me up here. Although Robert does mine, and I appreciate Robert does a great job, so... And 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 I and I go see Robert. I know some of you have nail person. You know, you get your manicures and your pedicures, and nobody's going to touch your toes except you know, you know Sally, you know Sally Vietnamese, whatever. Yes. Um, But we want to know. We want to know who will be performing that particular service. Uh, We just don't want anybody touching certain things. Now I put down here, we are cavalier about, you know, celebrities and, and politicians sometimes. I mean, we just, you know, they're all crooks, vote them all out. Or, you know, I don't care who is it. Oh, he has an R by his name. We'll just put him in or a D by her name. We'll just put her in salespersons. Uh, and unfortunately we tend to be rather cavalier about our spiritual input. um, we, we, we usually, unless, you know, of course, some of you have been around me for years now, and you've probably become more aware of this, that that the Bible tells us that we're to know those who labor among us. Now, I've, I wrote this down. Something isn't quite right when we want a recommendation for our hairstylist, but we're rather ambivalent to who speaks into our lives spiritually. Think about that for just a moment. Some of us take better care of our car than we do our spirit. Some of us are more concerned about our fingernails than we are our soul. And, and I just want us to pause for just a moment and understand that I believe that, that we need to understand that if there's anything important in our life, it's, it's what's getting spiritually input. Because if, if I'm going to, I can mess my car up and actually I can go buy another one. I may be aggravated or angry. I can go get another one. I can mess a lot of things up. If I get a bad haircut, it'll grow back. What little I have. I can mess things up and I can probably recover somehow in this life. But if I mess something up spiritually, there's eternal ramifications in this area. I'm messed up for eternity, possibly. Okay. Now, as an individual Christian, you and I have some level of responsibility as to whom I'm going to let minister to me. Now, I don't want to sow paranoia into everybody, and that is one of the things I've had to learn through the years, is that while this is important, I don't want to sow fear into you or some sense of paranoia that, that I better be careful who touches me or brushes up against me. or what. I'm not, I'm not trying to get you to that level of paranoia, but I am trying to just quicken you internally to begin to think and discern who it is that you're going to let impart into your life, all right? I do believe that When we function under the covering of a local church and we're functioning under authority, I I do believe there's protection. I don't believe I'm picking up spiritual viruses everywhere I walk or if what I mean is, for instance, for me, I've been in a mall sometime, been in a Christian bookstore and I've had someone come up and maybe they've recognized me through the years and I might not even know them. And they'll just all of a sudden go, I feel led to pray for you, pastor. And they just start. Say, well, what do you do? I just stand there and let them pray. You say, well, how do you know you aren't catching? Up? Well, you listen, I, you know, I, I'm not. I, I can't live in paranoia and fear, but I do believe if I function under authority and covering, you know that God, God's gonna, God's gonna watch out for me. All right, I'm not. I'm not. You know, their intent was probably good. It's I, so. I'm not trying to. I think you understand what I'm trying to say. But but at the same time, I don't go running up to people I don't know in Christian bookstores and say, "Will you pray for me?" Why is that? Because, I don't, because at that point, <laughs> you know, I may be being foolish because I don't know necessarily who they are, where they're at, or what's going on in their life. Now, as a leader, of course, that would certainly encompass myself as a pastor. Those of you that are maturing, maybe some of you in here are already exercising leadership, you have a responsibility to help protect those under you from getting improper spiritual input. Now, for me, I try to be discerning. And I think I'll mention it later in our notes. You know, I, I have people come and, and we've had special guest speakers that have come here. And you need to know it wasn't just some guy who dropped me an email that I never met before in my life. And I have no clue as to who he is. Just come on and sow into our congregation. I know there are pastors who might do that. And I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that the Holy Spirit couldn't quicken a relationship and and that might not happen on occasion because it was just birth of the Lord somehow. I'm not even saying that couldn't happen, but I'm saying the precept is you should know those who labor among you. All right. I understand God can do things that can circumvent uh, maybe a, a, a precept like this, but it should be, I think, an exception and not the rule. All right. And, and, and so you should be the same way wheres where 's my input? Who gets to impart into my life now that 's not as easy as it sounds because people tend to be rather cavalier about spiritual things, and the prevailing attitude is well i 'll go get a little of this, little of that and and I realize i'm not i 'm not necessarily talking about you know i 'm going to go see a a Buddhist monk or a Hindu priest or uh, an Islamic I- imam. Uh, you know, we, I think we're all smart enough to know we aren't going to get our bases covered that way. But at the same time, you know, we'll go, I'll get, you know, I heard, I've heard people say this before. Well, you know, I still go to Catholic mass and I go to here and here, I'm just going to get all my bases covered. And I just scratch my head because you know, it isn't about getting your bases covered. It, it's about growing up and making sure what you're getting is appropriate. And, 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 You need to discern that. The world system has developed certain, what I call ratifying or endorsing processes to certify the ability of a person. They usually give an examination in the field that that person wants to work. And so the person receives some form of license, let's say, if they pass. For instance, driving. Not everybody gets to drive, do they? In fact, you don't get to drive. You may drive, but you aren't supposed to drive unless you go down and take your written license, and then you have to take a, a, a driving test. And what happens is, is, you know, you go through the process, they give you that little card, that laminated card, and what that is is an endorsement from the state of South Carolina that you are fit, supposedly, to drive. Now, I realize not everybody who holds a card or driver's license is necessarily fit, but they, it's not anarchy out there on the road. They do something to try to endorse people. If uh, you're going to train to be a teacher, uh, you've got to go through classes in college and then you do a mentoring program and then you go through a licensing process. Lawyers, doctors, real estate agents. My wife, when she uh, was working in real estate for a time, she had to go to school. She had to take a test. She had to get X amount of questions right or they were not going to allow her to sell real estate. I had an idea the other day that I was kind of thinking through and checking out. Do you realize you can't start a tour business in downtown Charleston unless you take a test and get certified that you know a little bit of history about Charleston, South Carolina. Now, that would that would be important, wouldn't it? Because as a consumer, would you want to pay someone who doesn't know anything about Charleston and go take a tour? And I'm sure the reason they now have licenses for that is because that probably was going on. Every license Behind every license is a story. All right? We could go through hairdressers. People can't cut your hair unless they get licensed. Deep sea divers. Not drivers. I don't know how you drive under the deep sea, but deep sea divers. NASCAR drivers. All go through some form of endorsement process. Now, the truth of the matter is the reason we have what we call here is this vision process is because in the circles you and I are in right now, and this is, this is what we call one of those spirit-filled, I know they use the term independent. We're really not independent. We are connected. But in the sense that we're not a denominational church, how do, you, how do you begin to work through the endorsement process? And uh, that's why we've established what we do here. It's, it, I don't think it's a lot, but it's, it's at least enough to begin to discern who it is you can count on to input people spiritually. Because just because someone says they love Jesus don't mean I necessarily want them shabba-dabba-ding-donging over my life. All right? Now... Some of you grew up in a, in a denominational system like I did. And again, I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at it. Everybody does it their way. But in the Church of the Nazarene that I grew up in, I mean, they had mourner bench altars that were here. Miss Louise, I always think of Miss Louise because we kind of have similar backgrounds. And it had a little mourner's bench. Did you ever go to church with a mourner's bench? You know, hit you, you know, about when you knelt about waist high. It was a Baptist church had a mourner's bench. Well, that's great. And I think, I think they're good things. We may even have one in our new church. I, I just I think they're good things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so people would respond to the invitation. They would come and kneel and pray. And then what we do is the whole church got called up. And everybody just gathered around. I mean, now this is the part that as I think back to, I thought, I, I don't know that that may be the way to do it, but that's what we did. We didn't know who was coming down. It could have been Joe the town drunk. He could have come, you know, stumbling down to the altar and I'll lay my hands on them too. And we wouldn't have known because we're just all, you know, some of them are hitting them going, you know, hang on, hang on. And the other half are going, let go, let go. And, and, and I mean, it was and it was just sort of glorious confusion you know, and then we just slap and holler and yell. And, and all we knew is, is when they kind of put their head up that we ask, have you got through yet? And if they shook their head, no, then we go back to hollering. And, you know, and that's just how it worked in the church. I grew up, I'm not saying it was bad, but I'm just saying you weren't sure who was grabbing you. I mean, that's just, that's, and that's how they did it again. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's what I grew up in now. If you grow up in that, sometimes it's hard to understand why in the world you would be at a place where there might be a little bit more um, direction given at those moments. Well, it's because we're just really to know those who labor among us spiritually. Paul tells us, uses the word recognize. Now, the word is the Greek word oida. There's actually two words in the Greek which can be translated to know. One is oida. And the other one is gnosko. Now, oida suggests a more full knowledge, where gnosko seems to indicate a more progressive knowledge. Oida, if you followed it into the uh, Latin, uh, the Greek to the Latin, it's where we would see in the Latin video, or where we get our word video from. And what that means is basically is that that you have an ability to watch it or to see it. In order to know, gnosko means that there's, there's, you know, you might not know them as well. Um, So Paul's trying to say something here. I think that's important. And I just put down on your second page. In other words, there ought to be some level of confidence that you can receive input from this relationship. Now I've told this story before, some of you have heard it, some of you may not have, but I was on staff at a large church in the upstate, and of course we were a full gospel church, gifts of the Spirit, all the things that took place there. It was after, a, a, I think a special speaker was there that night, and a large attendance, um, service was over, everybody was going home, people walking out the door, I was on one side of the sanctuary, and you're just doing what you do as a staff pastor, greeting people, facilitating whatever needs to happen, and I... I saw just out of the corner of my eye across the sanctuary a young couple, and I knew the young couple. They were relatively young in the Lord, relatively new to the church, although they'd been there long enough that we knew them in a church of thousands. We, we knew them. And there was a guy that had them in the highway. And he was, you could see, I could tell from across the way he was prophesying to him. Now, the key was, I didn't know this guy from Adam's rib. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about him. He wasn't on staff. So far as I knew, he didn't go to the art church. He was, I, was probably a guest that came in. I don't, he may have been a pastor. I don't know, but I see him prophesying away. And as was the custom as we were under authority in that church, we understood how that was to be worked out and dealt with. I just started just kind of leisurely wandering over that way. And, and I just stopped right there, this kind of threesome that was there, the couple and the guy that was speaking. And he's just, he's prophesying. It was obvious that's what he was doing. And, and, and he kind of stopped and he looked at me and he said, can I help you? And I said, well, I guess, yes, I'm wanting to hear what you're saying to this couple. And he goes, well, why would that be important? I said, well, well, it's because, you know, you're speaking spiritual things into them. They go to this local church and, you know, that that isn't exactly our protocol and the way we do things here. And all of a sudden, what's really interesting is, is that sometimes you just have to just say a couple things and you can reveal a person's spirit. And all of a sudden, his spirit got revealed right there. And he said, what do you mean? Don't you don't you believe in the word of the Lord? Don't you believe in. In speaking over people's lives, don't you believe in the moving of the Holy Ghost? And don't you believe, and instantly, this is so funny because people will always do this to you. They'll make, they'll browbeat you into making you feel like somehow you are sub-spiritual to what they were doing despite the fact they were operating out from under authority. And so he's going through this whole thing. Don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you? And I looked at him and I said, we believe in all those things, but we also believe in that you should know those who labor among you and I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You could be some psychic that tripped in here for all I know. What do I know? You could be running around with your secretary and coming in here prophesying for all I know. I don't think it's too much to ask. Where are you from? What church are you at? Who's your pastor? What are you following me now? And so at that moment, I wasn't trying to hinder God. At that moment, I was trying to protect people. Now those sweet people, they they're just standing there, just like two deers in headlights. They you know, and all they knew was they they are hearing from God. And I, for all I know, maybe they were hearing from God. But listen to me. This is what's important. If the you may be saying what's right, but if your spirit is wrong, what did I say? You're wrong. Because it's not just what you're taught; it's what you're potentially can catch. You're not just getting the information. You're getting the spirit of the thing. Okay? And, and so anyway, that ended abruptly. So now, again, I put down here, can God use an unknown, untested person in a parking lot to minister to you? And you could come up and share your testimony and story that you were just walking across the Citadel Mall parking lot and somebody from way yonder started hollering your name. They didn't know you. And they started saying things they had no way of knowing. And could God do that? My answer is yes. God can do that. I'm not, hear me, I'm not putting paranoia or fear in you. I really don't want to do that. God can do anything he wants. But remember, the standard operating procedure is usually to know those who labor among you. Who is it that's speaking into my life here? And if you believe that to be a God moment, I would at at the very least say to yourself internally, okay, Lord, if this is you, then I'm going to be sure that there's the appropriate confirmation and wisdom and counsel and all the other things that need to come before I just suck it in. All right. That's what I would do again. It's happened to me and there've been God moments where unexpected things happen and God will do that. But I'm just laying down the precept. Now, What we call this is we call this endorsement, endorsement. Now, the Bible's interesting because I want to read to you some of the verses that never get read or taught on very much. And here, and I'm going to read through these very quickly, and you can just listen, look them up later if you like. But these are the verses usually at the end of Paul's letters that we don't even go to because we think it's meaningless. But after now I've told you these things, listen to what he says as he begins to finish up. Uh, some of his letter writing here in these different passages. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says this, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanas, Fortunatus, and uh, Achaicus, For what was lacking on your part, they supplied, for they refreshed my spirit in yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Now, I realized before, we we just run through that in our devotional time, and we say, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is Paul's saying, when these guys come, you can receive from them. I'm telling you, these, I'm endorsing these. That's what Paul's saying. These guys, I'm endorsing. In Ephesians, it says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Again, he's saying to the church, This guy's coming. I'm endorsing him. Listen to what he says. Colossians, those verses, it says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called uh, Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God isn 't that interesting? These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Are you following now what he's doing? and then finally, in third John twelve it says Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true so all of these are examples in the Bible of Paul writing to churches, and in those days, they would carry these letters, and this would be the endorsement that they would receive, that as these, as, as these men came into their midst, they could open up their hearts, and they could receive from these people. Now, it's interesting, because there were also passages that were used to warn people not to receive from certain people. <laughs> these never get read. Now, listen to this, 3 John 9. Says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preem- preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. How many of you know if Diotrephes showed up? wanting to do ministry in your church, what would probably be the answer? No, no. Well, you, you all are so hard. So harsh, unloving. I cannot believe you. See? No, now you're following me. All right. 2 Timothy 2.17. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. How would you like to be forever memorialized in the scripture as being a cancer against the church? I'm sure Hymenaeus wasn't signing up for that. Second Timothy four, nine, it says, it says, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Again, he speaks of Demas and uh, Demas, suddenly got caught up in materialism and the world. And then finally, 2 Timothy 4.14, it says that Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. (laughs) See, you know, but Paul's saying he's just letting, he's letting those he gives oversight to know and understand that these are some, that his endorsement no longer is on. And he does that in order to not, not be some mean, unforgiving uh, guy, harsh apostle, but he does this in order to share with them that that I'm going to try to protect you. I may have got bit, I may have got burned, but I can still protect you. And there are many examples of the importance of our endorsement when it comes to minister. As I mentioned, when a pastor invites a guest minister to speak in the local congregation, uh, you know, you come to church, I realize you don't think about this, it doesn't go through your mind because... To be candid, uh, we, we've developed usually through the years a confidence and a trust, and I, I wouldn't be your pastor if you didn't have some level of trust in that direction. And when someone comes, I, again, you're not, you're not working through all these things, but, but at some level what that says is is that pastor must be endorsing this person to come share or to minister or to teach or whatever it is because his responsibility is to protect the flock. So if, if someone comes and shares, you, you don't have to sit out there and go, well, I wonder I wonder if I should receive from it. And listen, I, I mean, I, the, the, there, there's an endorsement. It's like when your doctor calls in the specialists and says, this, this is a specialist, let's say, in this area. Now, maybe you do this, and so maybe my illustration breaks down at some point, but I don't look at the specialist and go, show me your Vita. Give me your resume. Who is the last guy you cut on? I mean, I don't, I don't do that. Maybe I should. I, I don't know. But I, but if my doctor whom I trust says, this is the one to have cut on you, most of the time, I'm going to go with that. Most of the time. All right? Because there's a confidence that has been built up there, an endorsement. And that's why I think connection to a local church and a process of ministry validation is important because it brings some level of endorsement in in the midst of the people. Are you following me now? I mean, there's no other way to, how, how do you license people? Now, I know y'all aren't becoming pastors and you may not do this full time and, you know, who knows what God has for you all in the future. But the point being is, is that we're all participants in the ministry at some level and, and it's important that there might be some process, even as, as little as it might be, that we move through in order that somehow we can say, if you're a leader or you're doing some form of ministry at Legacy, there's an endorsement here. There's an endorsement. As much as we know and as, as much as we can input, we, we give endorsement to what's happening. Now, what are the criteria for, endorse, for endorsing? Well, it's interesting because if you're in a denomination, it's really remedied by the denomination itself. If it's a pastor, ministers usually attend a seminary or a college associated with that denomination. So everybody goes through that that school or they go through a particular course of study that's been set up by that denomination. And what happens is is they begin to spit out ministers or pastors. And and when they're ordained within that circle, that is an endorsement by that denomination that when these people walk into that particular brand of church, they are licensed, so to speak, to minister. Now what happens then in, in the people or in the sheep is that many of them join that church. And then what happens is, is that if you were to move to, let's say, first, first, I don't know, we'll just use Baptist, okay, you, first Baptist church of this city, and you move to another city, and you're wanting to now join that Baptist church, what, what do you do? You send a letter, right, of transfer, because we don't want to get saved again, and we don't want to get baptized again. So we send a letter, and what does that letter do for the next pastor? It endorses who? You. Right. Now, I know maybe you've never thought about all of that, but that's, that's a process that usually works in denominational churches. And so what happens is, and it's kind of a tidy little thing, I, I, I can see why that would work that way, because when churches go through pastors as frequently as some of those churches do, they can pretty much be assured that if uh, their, their denomination label is across his forehead, then when he comes in, the face may change and the voice may change, but really you're still getting the same thing out of the can because he went through the process, right? And if a pastor is getting, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Baptist from across the country to his church, they know, in, in, at least in some form and fashion, that when these people come into their church, they've been trained, they've been schooled, they've been gone through the processes of however Baptist churches take people through their processes, and they pretty much know that they can get started right away. You're with me. all right? That's how it works out there. Now, denominations do have things, I put down here, like First Communion and Confirmation. Training unions, Sunday schools, all of these things bring some form of uniformity to their system that when you go through it, what happens is you become one of us. And those of you that have been in a denominational system, just out of curiosity, how many of you have spent any length of time, of several years at least, in a denominational system? Well, you know. You know when you were there. There was a way they did it there. That's how Episcopals do it. That's how Catholics do it. This is how Presbyterians do it. I know how Nazarenes did it. This is how Baptists do it, and we know how they do. it. We know when we walk in. In fact, if it doesn't happen the way we've been taught, we really are kind of going whoa. And this is a this is a Baptist church. This is a, this is a, an Episcopal church. You know, where's the incense? You know, how do you know? Because that's it. We we all right. All of this, I'm just training you now that this is what they were doing. Now, the question arises, it did for me, well, you're in this spirit-filled, independent kind of church, and, um, like, you got people from coming from all different backgrounds. I mean, we got Baptist people in here, right? Got Catholic people in here? Got Presbyterian people in here? Methodist people in here? Do you understand that right now, just out of me calling out those, just those circles, we've got people on theological opposite poles, doctrinally. I mean, I mean if, we, if we went into doctrine right now, I could show you how we we're theologically polar opposites. But yet we all are wanting to be in the presence of God, and we want to honor the work of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and so we're in these kinds of churches. I put down here, we live in the no sound doctrine age, so how in the world... I've got, as a pastor, think about this as a pastor, you've got all these people coming and they all believe that the Bible is their authority. That's good. And, and, and we need a good foundation in scripture. But how can you be confident that a person has truly been born again, filled with the spirit, walking in character and integrity? You see, many churches today release ministry to people who are confused. They're in error. They're in rebellion and they have shaky foundations now, no person will be absolutely perfect. Nobody, hey, if you're perfect, then, then, then we release you because you're going to be real frustrated with the rest of us. So nobody's perfect. But but while we all confess to not being perfect, we still have to find a way to bring confidence to what we're endeavoring to do as before the Lord. And there are two key things I put down here for me That's important in this area. Number one is that it takes time to get to know a person. It takes time. Now, I understand that we can maybe we could call pastors and and we could have conversations. But we're, you know, in our circles, that's it's just it's just too different to be able to do that. And, and so when you come into a church like ours, it's going to take just a little bit of time. Now, hopefully that's not frustrating. And, and hopefully if you're here, you can understand how important that would be. be. Because if time is not in the equation, what happens is you can move too quickly on something and then end up getting in an even greater mess. I've often said this. I, I believe people generally can fake, can fake spiritually for about a maximum of six months. I think after six months, they wear out. If it's not real, you start seeing things start popping out. If there's something that in their character that's not good in six months, if it's real, it'll still be there. But in about six months, if it's not real, you're going to begin to see things pop out. Time time is not God, but time will unveil, unveil a lot of things. I've been, for instance, some of you have been around me for since the moment I came to Charleston, South Carolina, that's almost 14 years now. Now, hopefully, you can say, you know what? I've been around Pastor Baird for 14 years, and I can pretty much tell you that the day he came in to this day, I mean, he, he may have grown some or has some new understandings, but hopefully, by way of character and, and, and being solid, I, I hope that I have presented out of that a sense of stability. Now, that doesn't mean I'm perfect again, and God knows, if God tells me something and I'm wrong, you'll probably hear about it. But but time says something. Time says something. Um, I've been in South Carolina for 22 years, over 22 years, and that has given me an ability now to work with pastors across this state because, you know, sometimes if you're there the longest, you're the last one left with the key to the lights. <laughs> and, and people start asking, who's been around the longest? And my name starts popping up because I've just been around the longest now. All right? So... You know, time doesn't tell you everything, but it does say some things, all right? Then the second concept I put down here is participation in the, what we call the vision process, which is what you all are doing even right now. See, when people come, there, there's got to be a way to begin to impart to them and even instruct them into what's the culture? How do things work here? What do we value? What is our purpose? What is our vision? How does it work? What does God's word say in all of that? And, and you go through this process uh, because it begins to give, hopefully, you better understanding of who we are. And it gives us a better understanding of who you are just by virtue of your willingness to go through this process. You see, when someone comes, let's say they've been a Christian and they went to another church. Good church, good ministry, nothing wrong with it. So, I, I, again, it's, it's not that it's bad. Nothing bad about that. Good. God used it. He enlarged you. But you've got their DNA, Let's say you were there for 20 years. You got their DNA, which was a good thing when you were there. That's not a bad thing. And it will probably be an enlarging thing for the rest of your life. But when you come here, now you got to catch this DNA. you following me. So we can affirm that and God will use that, but you need the DNA of this local church as well. And and again, I believe God uses all these things to enlarge us. Now, let me give you the seven gauges. I'm going to fly through this that lead to endorsement. The first one is, you've heard this, a teachable spirit. Who, who gets endorsed? Who, who gets tapped? Well, those that have a teachable spirit. Can the person receive instruction? Are they humble enough to be able to accept the thought that they need some ongoing training? I've had people come and look at me and say, I've been in Spirit-filled churches since 1969. I had Dennis Bennett for my pastor. And I don't need, I don't need. Listen, you, then you're probably too big for this. You, pro- you probably are just blown by us. See, I've been serving God since I was 18 years old. College, seminary, graduate school, all this stuff. You've heard my story. Let's, let me tell you, I'm still learning. I was on a phone call today with guys, and I'm learning. All right? I'm learning. If I need to learn, I guarantee you, you need to learn. All right? We all need to learn. Number two, loyalty. Loyalty. We've already mentioned all of the loyalty issues, but that's one of the endorsement processes is their loyalty. Number three, faithful to be faithful in their walk. They're consistent and dependable, accountable. They're trustworthy. If if you give somebody something to do, they're faithful to fulfill it. It might be a menial thing or a simple thing, but if you give them a simple thing, Uh, if you're not faithful, the scripture says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. If you're not faithful in that, which is lesser, you'll never be given that which is greater. So be faithful. Number four, works in coordination. They want to fit in with the ministry, the vision, the area they serve in. They, they, want, they, want, they want to be a part of the, the whole. They want to fit in. They don't always want to do their own thing. They realize the need to cooperate with the greater church program. Number five, time. I've already mentioned being tested by time. And so, uh, you know, time is one of those things. You can't, you can't hurry up time. Six, walking under authority. I'll give you a little clue. Those, those that are leaders in the room already know this to be true, and, it, and, and the staff knows it, and, and we chuckle about it, and it's kind of one of those inside jokes that's, that's not a joke. It's, it's reality. But that is if, if, if you're going to share, you're going to do something, and, for instance, I were to say something like, you got two minutes. How many of you know two minutes is 120 seconds? It's not 180 seconds. That's that's what authority is. If, 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 if you're given if you're given five minutes and you take 10, you know what that tells me? It tells me that probably you aren't listening and paying attention. <laughs> OK, so so that's what that's what authority looks like. So do they do they want to be complete in their obedience? Do they want to help? Hey, it's not just about ha- hamstringing people. I've had people for years tell me this. If, I'll just tell you a story. I was at a church one time. I was the guest speaker. The pastor allowed someone to give an announcement for some, I don't, I don't know if it was a nursing home ministry, but they got behind the pulpit and they started giving this announcement. And they'd gone probably three, four minutes, which was a good long announcement, really, when you think about it. And then all of a sudden, it was this lady. She looked at me down there and she goes, I know, I know you're the special guest, but you just might as well just lean back. I'm going to be here a while. She went 45 minutes in this ministry announcement. I'm a special speaker. I'll never forget the pastor leaned over to me. Of course, I know what I would have done. Yeah, the, yeah, we 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 didn't clip that off at that moment. If that had come out of that moment. I guarantee, you, I'd I'd have stood up and I just said, no, no, he's not the one sitting down now. So, um, but but he this the pastor I knew. He's a great guy. Just hated confrontation. And he leaned over. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry, Kevin. I'm so sorry that this is going to happen. I don't know what to do. And I just leaned over. I said, dude, it doesn't bother me. I'm getting paid whether I sit here or whether I stand up there. But how many of you know there's something wrong in that person? All right. And then finally, righteous in character. All the other qualities mean nothing if a person's character is not in order. So, you know, we value that. We, we, we value character. We value integrity. We value these things. Again, I understand that it, nobody's perfect and there are challenges and things happen and and that's not to uh, make excuses for a lack of character or integrity. But, but it is to say, and because I, I, I don't want to put out there that somehow you have to be perfect to, to, to do anything. No, 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 no. Hey, if you have to be perfect, I'm disqualified. Perfection disqualifies me. It would disqualify anybody. I'll just say what Paul said. Paul said, this is what he said. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the least of all. I figure if Paul said it, that's probably a good thing that I ought to say. Now that doesn't mean I'm practicing sin, but, but, it, but it does mean I totally understand where I came from and how I got here. And it was God that put me in this place and he knows what he's working with. And hopefully, hopefully this, this clay jar looks a little bit better than it did 30 years ago. But I understand I'm, I'm still being worked on, on the potter's wheel. You are too. All right. But we have to do our part in making sure we're righteous in character. If all the other qualities are there, but a person isn't righteous in character then it's not in order and unfortunately through the years i'll just tell you i've met I've met pastors who were great leaders and and I'm sure they started out well, but because number seven wasn't in order it it eventually caught up to them and it disqualified them it knocked them out from where they were and uh, and again that's just something uh, we want to be in people's lives so Hopefully, as a spirit-filled person, you can value these processes. These processes hopefully bring a sense of endorsement and confidence. You know, again, I I don't want to control people. I have enough on my plate to keep my hand on that that the last thing I want to do is to control another 300 people's lives. I don't need that. You don't want it. I don't need it. But we got to find a way to protect people. So it can be a great blessing to receive an endorsement from those who are recognized laborers in God's harvest. And so that's why we do, hallelujah, what we do. Amen.